0: Well, good morning. This is, uh, again, very unusual, but uh, we are glad that you could join us, and uh, we're excited about these uh, opportunities to still gather. And so uh, uh, let me just say again, welcome everyone to our uh, live stream, but uh, let's open in prayer and we will get going. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to continue to serve you, Lord, and to teach your word, and we thank you for the... um, uh, the, the, the platforms that you've given us, Lord, to be able to do that. We ask, Lord, that your spirit would just fall upon the uh, message, upon the hearts, that, Lord, every one of us would draw closer to you, and that, Lord, you'd give us grace to apply the truth into our hearts that you will teach us today. We do ask that your spirit would be our teacher. We ask all this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm just going to review a little bit, guys, and uh, I'm going to state the obvious. I'm sure you all know this, but last week, because of the uh, coronavirus, the governor of Illinois imposed a uh, shelter-in-place order mandating that we can no longer meet in groups until the virus uh, runs its course. Now, because of this forced sequester, we have, along with many other churches, uh, have taken to social media. And have started live streaming our services, or at least the uh, teaching portion of our services. And uh, since this is a unique situation, and because many are feeling, you know, trapped, isolated, alone, anxious. I felt like the Lord was uh, telling me that He wanted us to do something different. To take a a break from our normal uh, Sunday morning uh, through the Gospel of John study and do something different. And so I've started a series entitled Life's Essential Ingredients. One thing about adversity is that um, it has a way of stripping our lives of the extraneous, of the extraneous, and getting us to focus on the basics, on the essentials, the things in life that really matter. With regard to life's essential ingredients, let me just begin by saying that every recipe contains certain ingredients some of them are a matter of taste and are not necessary but uh, then you have ingredients that are not optional they are absolutely essential for that recipe to work and to uh, produce the intended results when it comes to what we'll call the recipe for life there are certain mandatory or essential ingredients that must, be a, that must be included if a person's life is going to, you know, turn out the way God intended. If we're going to be thorough, let me um, start with the ingredients that make life possible on a physical level. And we've talked about this before, but let me just say it again. There are certain drives drives that God has built into the human body that are attached to certain what we'll call ingredients ingredients that the body needs to ensure its health and survival. The strongest of these is the air drive, followed by the water drive, which is in turn followed by the food drive, the sleep drive, and the sex drive. And I've said it before, let me just say some guys put sex drive before food and sleep, but that's a different message. Uh, But these are very important drives. Um, so important for the survival of our physical bodies, not to mention the perpetuation of the human race, that God built into our bodies an alarm system, an alarm system that warns us when our body is being deprived of any of these essential ingredients. This alarm takes the form of cravings, and in some cases, intense desires, if those cravings are not satisfied pretty quickly, they grow stronger and become eventually intense desires now just as God has given us physical drives to keep our physical bodies healthy he is also built into our non-physical being in other words our soul certain essentials that must be satisfied also if we're going to remain emotionally healthy and stable as we said last week those three ingredients are peace hope and love. Now, some of you might be thinking at this point that these three ingredients should be faith, hope, and love, instead of peace, hope, and love. And uh, you're thinking that because of what Paul the Apostle said in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13, where he said, and now abide faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. And that's true. And and look, I'm certainly not going to argue with you about the importance of faith in a person's life, and I'm talking about true faith in Jesus Christ. I'm not going to argue with you about the importance of faith as being an essential ingredient for life. It's true. However, let me say that the reason I didn't include faith in the list of essential ingredients was because it is included in the first essential that we covered last week, and that's peace. All right, peace. As we said last time, the Bible talks about three kinds of peace. They are as follows. Peace with God, and that comes out of Romans 5, verse 1. And we said last week that was actually talking about salvation. Salvation, peace with God. Then there is the peace of God. That comes out of Philippians 4, verse 7, which is a practical peace for the child of God to see us through our day. Peace, the peace of God. And then there is a third one that Jesus mentioned in John 14, verse 27, called the peace the world gives. And last week we said this is an artificial peace that comes for the most part through alcohol and drugs, although some people turn to yoga or PMA, positive mental attitude, to bring some kind of peace into their lives in tumultuous times, but for the most part the most part, the world's peace is grabbed through artificial means, and that is through the use of alcohol and or drugs. So, guys, inherent in and essential to the concept of biblical peace is faith. So I'm not denying that, it's true. That then brings us to the second ingredient that is essential for life, and that is hope. Hope. Guys, as essential as peace is for life. I actually think that hope might even be more essential, more essential. Hope is one of the intangibles of life that can't be measured out or weighed in a scale the way you would, you know, weigh food or some other commodity that is essential for our physical well-being. And yet hope is no less essential for life. I saw an interesting article years ago. Let me read it to you. It goes like this. It says, a number of years ago... A study was done on rats. I know that you're not rats, but hear me out. A number of years ago, a study was done on rats in Norway that lived on the wharfs by the sea. After being thrown into the open water, one group paddled for about three and a half minutes before giving up and drowning. A second group was thrown in but plucked out right before they drowned. The next day, when the rats were thrown back into the water, scientists were astounded to find, that, uh, to find them able to tread water for 45 minutes or more. Scientists figured out that um, this was due to the fact that they had hope, the hope that they would be rescued again the way they had been the day before. Guys, hope is one of the things that makes life possible. We can't live without it. We can't live without it. And when it is present and alive in a person's heart, it's amazing the obstacles that we can overcome and the things we can accomplish. Several years ago, I came across the um, story of a self-made millionaire named Eugene Lang. Mr. Lang powerfully changed the lives of the sixth grade class in East Harlem, New York. One author recounts the story. He said, and I quote, Mr. Lang had been asked to speak to a class of 59 sixth graders, um, and he was wondering what he could possibly say to inspire these students, most of whom would drop out of school. That was just the statistics. Most of these kids would eventually just drop out of school. He was wondering what he could possibly say to them. It would make a difference. Uh, He wondered how he could get these tough and poor students to even look at him. Scrapping his notes, he decided to speak to them from the heart. He said, stay in school. Stay in school, and if you do, I'll help pay the college tuition for every one of you. At that moment, the lives of these students changed. For the first time, they had hope. Said one student, I had something to look forward to, something waiting for me. It was a golden feeling. The article goes on to say, nearly 90% of that class graduated high school and went on to college. It's amazing. Amazing what hope can do. It can really uh, give the ability to overcome many obstacles. English author, poet, and essayist Samuel Johnson wrote in his book, The Rambler. He said, and I quote, The natural flights of the human mind are not from pleasure to pleasure, but from hope to hope. What does that mean? Well, most people think that we make it from day to day through pleasurable experiences, looking forward to the pleasurable. And that could help a little bit, but that really is not how we work. It's not how we're wired. Really, it isn't pleasure that keeps us going from day one day to the next. It's hope. We don't realize it, but it's true. How do I know that? Because there have been more than a few millionaires who have committed suicide, not from lack of pleasure, being they have the money to indulge themselves in all kinds of material things, and they do pleasures. Um, The reason they commit suicide is not for a lack of pleasure, but for an absence of hope. Proverbs 13 verse 12 reads, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when the desire comes, in other words, when a hope uh, is realized, it is a tree of life. In other words, when we're deprived of hope, we become emotionally sick and guys, that's going to lead to depression, and in some cases, to suicide. Webster's Dictionary defines hope this way. It says, and I quote, Hope is to ensure, it says to, to uh, it defines hope this way, To desire with expectation of obtainment. The desire of expectation, uh, the expectation of attainment. Humanly speaking, just because we hope for something doesn't mean it's guaranteed we're going to get it, we know that, unless, unless it's a hope rooted in a promise of God. In the Bible, God has given his children many promises, many promises, all of which are designed to give us hope. Peter called these exceedingly great and precious promises. Many of these deal with everyday life where God has promised to provide everything we need to live uh, physically from day to day. Why don't you turn to Matthew chapter 6. I want to read you a couple of these. First of all, Matthew 6. As I grab just a little water here. Okay. (laughs) Matthew 6, we're going to look at verse 31. All right, Matthew 6, 31. Jesus said, So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly father already knows all all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. And he will give you everything you need in the sense of what you need to live physically. How about Philippians 4, verse 19? I'll have you turn there quickly. You know it, I'm sure, most of you. Philippians 4, 19, and this is just a couple of dozens we could look at where God has given us promises that pertain to our everyday life physically uh, and so on. But Philippians 4, verse 19, Paul the Apostle said, And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. God who created us knows how important hope is for living our lives here down on the earth and how prone we are to lose that hope when things, you know, get tough. And that's why in his word, he constantly tries to encourage us not to lose hope in him or in his promises. Now, one of my favorite verses in the Bible that always gives me hope is Jeremiah twenty I'll just read it to you. Where God says, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. He said they are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. God is saying sometimes your circumstances are not going to communicate that I'm with you. They're not going to communicate how much I love you. But I want you to know that you need to look past the circumstances and focus on me, who I am, that I'm a good and loving God. And the promises I've given you, and here's one right here, no matter what you're going through, if you're my child, I'm working it together for your good. Uh, I'm working for you to have a future uh, and to hope, not for disaster. I'm not trying to destroy your life. I'm trying to to give you a hope for the future. And uh, sometimes only God knows what he's doing to bring about that hope, but we have to trust him. I will have you turn to Romans 15, verse 13. Romans fifteen verse thirteen. This is when you should highlight or underline. In Romans fifteen verse thirteen, Paul the apostle said, "Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing." See, hope like uh, a peace is is tied to faith. All right, uh, we're only going to have hope if we have faith in God's promises and His character. So now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. God wants His people to have hope because He knows it's an essential essential ingredient for life. He knows that when hope is gone, life becomes impossible to live. And that's why this present coronavirus Crisis in our nation uh, is that our nation is going through has caused so much turmoil in the hearts of so many people. It's because they don't have hope that this is gonna, you know, work itself out and life is going to return to normal. In other words, for many, their hope for the future is greatly diminished, causing anxiety, fear, and depression. While for many others, they have lost all hope for the future, which has caused more than a few to commit suicide. I just read a tragic article a few days ago about a 19-year-old British woman, young woman, who gave a solemn warning just before committing suicide. She said, more people will die from suicide during this than the virus itself, all because of a lack of hope, all because of a lack of hope. David expressed the importance of hope when he faced a life-threatening crisis. He said, I would have lost heart unless I had believed. In other words, unless I had hope in God's promises. I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. That's Psalm 27, verse 13. David said, because of my circumstances, I would have lost all hope. And yet I kept my eyes focused on God. I kept focusing on his promises Uh, To get me through, they gave me hope that he was going to work this out. Guys, the word hope appears 154 times in the Bible. 78 in the Old Testament, 76 times in the New. So almost split right down the middle, almost exactly half and half. God encouraged the Old Testament saints as he is encouraging us in the New Testament with the concept of hope. And whenever it's used, I'm talking about hope when it's connected to God, whenever it's used uh, in relation to something God has promised his people, the hope is always, uh, the idea is to wait with expectation, to wait with expectation. A quiet, confident trust is the idea. In other words, guys, in scripture, when God promises us something, it's not an I hope so hope. In other words, maybe it will be, maybe it won't. No, it's always an I-know-so hope, or in other words, a sure thing, a sure thing. Now, that's something that we must cling to by faith, okay? If God makes us a promise, and we're going to really let it uh, guard our hearts and minds and, 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 and drive from us anxiety and worry and so on, then we have to cling to that promise by faith, by faith. Faith in the power of God to keep his promises to us, even as Abraham believed the incredible promise that God gave to him. Remember that Abraham was uh, 75 years old. Sarah, was, his wife, was 65 years old when God made them a promise that they were going to have a son. And, uh, and so God gave them this promise, and uh, 25 years passed, and still Sarah had not bore a son. And uh, God uh, appeared to Abraham again and reaffirmed that promise, when Abraham was 99 years old, and Sarah was therefore 89, and God promised them that, uh, you know, Abraham, that he would have a son, and through that son, he would have so many descendants, they would be innumerable, like the stars of heaven or the sands of the seashore. Now, you think that at 99 years old, Abraham would have said, Lord, I'm sorry, I just can't, I just can't believe that. I'm way past the age of having kids. Sarah's Uh, 89, she's way past the years of childbearing. But here's what we read in Romans chapter 4, verses 20 and 21. I encourage you to read the whole chapter, Romans 4. But verses 20 and 21, we read, Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger. And in this, he brought glory to God. It honors and glorifies God. We believe what he tells us in his promises. He was fully convinced that God was able to do whatever God promised. That was his faith. Guys, the most important promise of all the promises God has given to us in his word is the promise of eternal life to all who receive Jesus, God's Son, into their hearts as their Savior. This promise produces hope in our hearts, the hope that our eternal inheritance excuse me, the the hope of our eternal inheritance someday in heaven. This is our great hope, all right? Paul said in Colossians 1 verse 5, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. And he goes on, see, he is telling us that God has promised us when we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior, we have eternal life. not only that, we have a place waiting for us in heaven, uh, an inheritance that is waiting for us. That is our hope and it's all because we embrace the truth of the gospel. This eternal hope, now this is important because this is where we live now, all right? This eternal hope then trickles down, if I can put it that way, into our practical daily lives here on the earth, especially when we are confronted with any kind of crisis or adversity in our lives. I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And I want to pick it up in verse 16, 2 Corinthians 4 verse 16, where Paul says, Therefore we do not lose heart, or in other words, we do not lose hope. Even though our outward man, in other words, our physical body, is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are, listen, temporary. But the things which are not seen are eternal. Paul said, this is how I get through all the persecutions and all the adversities of life. Paul called what he went through light afflictions. If you read what Paul suffered for the cause of Christ, I would say those are pretty major uh, tribulations and trials. But when Paul saw even what he went through in the light of eternity, it was nothing. It was a light affliction and uh, was working for Him and all of us who go through trials and tribulations and adversity for the cause of Christ. It's only working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. It's accruing rewards in heaven. We need to understand that. That's how we we get through the physical, by keeping our eyes on the eternal. Now, look, look, I have to stop here. I have to stop here and say some things that might be difficult for some of you to hear. But I would be remiss as a pastor if I did not say these things to you. I, I, I want to encourage you. I want to give you hope. But I would be remiss as a pastor if I didn't balance this teaching. So that you have a full picture of what the Bible says about hope. The hope that comes from God. Guys, there are many adversities in life that come our way as children of God that God hasn't promised to deliver us from, at least not in this life. Of course, in the life to come, we'll be delivered from every heartache. There'll be no more sorrow or pain or suffering, death, and so on. But there are many things that we go through right now that God has not promised in His Word that we are going to be delivered from. I mean, the history of the church is full of examples of Christians who love God with all their hearts and walked in obedience to His commandments. Listen, that wound up being martyred for their faith. How is that compatible with Paul's statement in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8, where he said, God's love never fails, you ask? How's that compatible with the idea of God's love never failing us? Look, just because we're God's children, and he loves us, and he certainly does, that doesn't mean his love will listen, never fail to produce for us a happy ending and that everything will always work out the way we're hoping. There are times when we won't experience a happy ending in a given situation, no matter how much hope we have. In other words, sometimes, listen, the marriage won't be healed, the job won't be salvaged, and or the sickness won't be healed. I'm sorry to say this to you. I don't want to discourage you. But I'm convinced that many children of God all over the world who contract the coronavirus will wind up dying from it. Now, listen, many will be spared. That's true. But others will die. And I know right now you're thinking, so where's the hope for the future in that, Phil? All right. I mean, you know, I tuned in here because I wanted to be encouraged. Um, I'm I'm full of anxiety and and fear for the future. And now you're telling me that, you know what? Um, I might not get through this. Uh, I might not make it. Where is the hope for the future in that message? Where it's always been, with God. Our hope has always been with God, or in God. Not for the temporal, but for the eternal. Jesus said, now listen, the context. John 14, he was talking to his disciples in the upper room hours before the cross. And he had told them he was leaving them. And where he was going, they could not follow him. Uh, not at this point, all right? Uh, He would come back for them, but right now he was leaving them, going away, and they couldn't follow him. And this caused an incredible amount of anxiety uh, and fear for the future. They had gotten used to to walking with Jesus. He was the master of every situation. No problem was too large for him. And now he was going. How are we ever going to survive? How are we going to have any hope for the future? And Jesus said to them, Let not your heart be troubled in the ideas for the coming future. You believe in God. Believe also in me. Notice he didn't give them any specifics. He didn't tell them what they could exactly um, trust him for. He just said, trust me. Trust me. Um, Fear not for the future. You know me. Trust me. You know, Job said something along those lines in Job 13, verse 15, where he said, even though he slays me, even though God takes my life, I'm still going to trust him. Well, Job, if he takes your life, you're dead. How are you going to trust God at that point? See, Job wasn't thinking of the temporal. He had his eyes on the eternal. That's why in chapter 19, verses 25 to 27, he talks about what his hope is. And it wasn't in this life. Sure, he prayed for God to heal him. But Job said, look, even if God doesn't heal me, even if he takes my life, I'm still going to trust him. Trust him for what? Trust him that my future is in his hands. And that's when he said in chapter 19, verses 20 to 25, I know my Redeemer lives. I know my Redeemer lives. And someday he's going to stand on this earth and I'm going to be resurrected and I'm going to see him face to face with these eyes, not with the eyes of another. With these eyes, I'm going to be raised, resurrected, and then I'm going to enjoy him for all eternity. That's the hope we have to cling to, guys. Again, in the real world, God hasn't promised us freedom from the problems and pain of life. And he doesn't promise us that everything will always work out the way we hope so that we can always live happily ever after. Again, the only hope that God has given us where we will live happily ever after is the hope of heaven, the hope of heaven. In heaven, we will absolutely live happily ever after. A place where there is joy unspeakable, full of glory. Again, a place where there's no more tears, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more hunger, no more death. An existence where we are in God's presence and in His presence there is fullness of joy. And folks, we can't even imagine what that really means at this point. Let me just say this to you. The cross and ultimately the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead guarantees us the hope of a heavenly inheritance. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 1 because this is what Peter was rejoicing in. And I want to read it to you. 1 Peter chapter 1. See, Peter and the other apostles, when they wrote the New Testament, this was always the hope that sustained them. They were always looking forward to the heavenly hope. And let me read to you 1 Peter chapter 1, starting with verse 3, where Peter said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope. Yes, because Jesus is alive. Never to die again. Because I live, He said, you will, also, you will live also. So Peter is talking about our living hope. Jesus, who rose from the dead, never to die again. He said, be, he, who has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of god through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time in this you greatly rejoice though now for a little while if need be you have been grieved by various trials well here we are aren't we that the genuineness of your faith folks trials has a way of showing what our faith is really made of. Paul talked about some people's faith uh, was likened to wood, hay, and stubble. And when fiery trials come, their faith is burned up. It's poof, it's out of existence because it wasn't real. Where others, their faith is like like steel that when it's subjected to fire, it's tempered, it becomes stronger, okay, and all. But um, God allows trials to test us to see if the genuine, to see how genuine our faith is. Um, is our faith because you know, our faith is much more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire. And so the goldsmith uh, uh, introduces the gold ore to the fire and it melts in the pot and the dross comes to the top and as it melts, he scrapes off the dross the impurities. And it keeps, he keeps heating it, and as he does, more dross, more impurities are released from the gold ore. He scrapes those off, and from what I understand, he keeps doing this until he can look into that pot of gold and see his reflection. And then, and only then, is it ready to be used to fashion into whatever he wants to fashion it into. That's our faith. God subjects it to fiery trials, because fiery trials is a way of purifying our faith. It causes us to to realize, do I really love God? Am I really in this for the right reasons or do I expect God just to bless me? And if he doesn't, I'm going to turn away from him in anger. If he doesn't come through and, and let me live, you know, happily ever after in any given situation. Peter said, our faith is precious to God and he wants to refine it like gold is refined in the fire. That it may be found to praise, honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. When Jesus comes for his church at the rapture and we see him face to face. The Bible says some are going to be ashamed of disappearing, because they've been living carnal, selfish lives on the earth. But for those who have allowed their faith to be tested and purified and go, have gone on to serve God in greater ways, when they see Jesus face to face, they're going to be filled with joy, especially when he says to them, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a few things. Now come, enter into the joy of your Lord. Listen, guys. It was the cross and the death of Jesus Christ that made this hope, the hope of eternal life a reality. The same cross, listen now, the same cross, he said, we must take up if we want to be one of his disciples. And yes, that cross was primarily figurative, in other words, dying to self, um, Dying to self, to serve God and on the earth here, to, bring, to serve God and bring him glory. That's true. For the most part, it was figurative, the idea. And yet it might mean that some of us could be physically martyred for our faith. That's a reality. Are we willing to take up that cross? The problem with us as Americans is we have so many blessings, that we're not looking forward to heaven, but rather we're clinging to our lives here on earth. We must, guys, we must stop holding onto our life here on the earth so tightly. I mean, could that be one of the reasons? I mean, one of the reasons, not the only reason. Could that be one of the reasons God has allowed this pandemic so that his people would get our eyes off the temporal and more onto the eternal? Maybe. Probably. God has a way of removing earthly blessings to get us focused on what really matters. Again, life's essentials. And nothing is more essential than our faith in Christ. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, in fact, why don't you turn there, Hebrews 12. The Bible says there's a coming a day when God is going to shake the entire world so that everything material is going to crumble. And God's going to do this because... He wants to give people an opportunity by removing all the idols, to see clearly, uh, to have all the extraneous stuff removed from our lives that that cry out to us and distract us from day to day. God wants to remove that. Isn't it interesting that through this coronavirus uh, shutdown, where everything is closed down, how God has removed all the idols from people's lives? Sporting events are all canceled. People worship athletics, Okay. Um, You know, Wall Street is shut down, all the money things, and people worship money, and the casinos, and and so many entertainment, so many things that people worship has been taken away. Why? Because God's mean, because he's heartless, he's cruel? No. Because if he has to inflict a little temporal discomfort upon our lives to get our eyes off of the earth and onto heaven where we accept Christ as our Savior, he'll do that. Nothing is more important than your eternity. I don't care what it is in time. I don't care what God takes from you. Nothing is more important than your eternity, and nobody knows that better than God himself. And there is coming a time when God is going to judge this world, but in part, he's going to use the judgment to get a hold of people's hearts. Now, many will get saved during the tribulation period. In fact, the Bible says that there'll be so many that will get saved that they won't be able to be numbered. So the Holy Spirit would be at work. But I want to read you what God says about this in Hebrews 12, verse 26. It says, But now He has promised, saying, Yet once more I, I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken, the eternal, shall remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably and with reverence and godly fear. Now, I see in that all a, a promise or a prophecy that does relate even today. And again, why is God, has God allowed this? Could it be, especially for us in America, because we have so many blessings that distract us and, uh, and all that, he wants to remove some of this stuff, at least for a time. And I'm hoping things go back to normal. I'm hoping that we get through this and, and, and we go back to the place we were uh, materially. Although I hope we never go back spiritually. I hope this shakes a lot of people to, their, uh, to the core and brings them to Christ, okay? But I think God is using this time in part to get our eyes as Christians in America off the temporal and onto the eternal. Because guys, Jesus is coming back soon and we got to be in the game. We have to be all in. We can't be distracted. we got to gird up the loins of our mind, as Peter said, uh, and focus on what really matters, as God is saying here, that we might serve God uh, acceptably with godly reverence and fear. This is a time to serve God, not to be uh, playing church, you know? A lot of club med Christians, they're like on a spiritual cruise, okay? God says, no, no, This is the, the, the Christian life is not a playground. It's a battleground. You're in war. And let's get serious. Let me close by saying one more time. We must stop thinking that being a Christian means God has promised us, listen, blue skies and smooth sailing while we're on this earth. And because we are his children, that you know, he owes us. <laughs> he owes us a happy ending to every problem we face in life. And again, guys, of course, we pray for solutions to our problems. I'm, I'm, you know, we hope for happy endings. That, that's not wrong. But if they don't come. How are you going to handle it? How are you going to ha- are you going to draw closer to God? Or are you going to write God off and say, you know, I uh, I thought you were a loving God, and because you didn't give me what I wanted, I'm going to turn away from you. Many have. I mean, guys, what if the cancer isn't healed? Or the marriage isn't saved? Or the problem whatever it is isn't solved? How is that going to impact your relationship with God? I mean, what if everything, what if everything came crashing down? I'm talking about the whole world economy. If this thing goes on for months, it will have the potential of crashing the world economy and throwing us into a worldwide depression. Uh, And I don't want to scare you. I'm just, I'm just saying, Uh, you know, it's possible, right? And what if everything did come crashing down? I mean, what if we were found ourselves in the greatest depression the world has ever seen? How would that affect your relationship with God? Look, we, can be sure, we can't be sure. We can't be sure that um, this COVID-19 pandemic isn't a judgment from God. I mean, we can't be sure. Somebody asked me on the radio the other day, did I think this was a judgment of God? I don't know. It could be. I don't know. It could be. That God is using this, again, if it has wide-reaching financial consequences to the entire world and our financials. You talk about a God? You talk about a God that people worship money, power? If all that comes crashing down, the world is going to be ready, I think, to embrace a leader that will unite the world together in a one-world government. We're hearing it now on TV. You know, we, we need to come together. And, and they're not just talking nationally, they're talking globally. That's why they got upset when the president said this was a Chinese virus, because they, they don't want us to think in terms of regions or countries. They want us to think of ourselves as a global community, one big family, and the world has already been imbibing this message for many years. What if God is allowing this to pave the way for the coming of the Antichrist? We know it; he's coming. I believe he's probably alive right now. God could be using this to uh, bring about the one world government the Bible talks about that uh, will bring into power the Antichrist and ultimately lead to the return of Jesus Christ to the planet earth to establish his kingdom. Look, that's possible. Our only true hope is that we will definitely and absolutely live happily ever after um, when we are taken to heaven to be with our Lord. I mean, you know, who doesn't want to live happily ever after? But as Christians, that is tied to God's promise through His Son, Jesus Christ, of bringing us to heaven someday where we have an inheritance waiting for us that nobody could ever take away from us that will never diminish or, or, uh, or you know, melt away. That is the only place where we are guaranteed to live happily ever after. We have to get our eyes off of earth and onto heaven. This is the point I'm making, okay? I pray everything works out. I pray God blesses America again and and, and things go back to normal, but that people never forget the lesson that he is teaching us through this time. But we must get our eyes off of the earth, that's why we are admonished. And this is all over the place in the New Testament. I'll just give you two. That's why Paul admonished believers in Corinthians, uh, uh, Colossians 3, verse 2. He said, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Because if you set your mind on things on the earth, you're going to become entangled with the cares of this life. And that will impede or hinder your race for Christ. Don't ever let anything in the temporal impede your eternal rewards. And of course, how could we forget what the Lord Jesus himself said in Matthew 6, verses 19 to 21, where he admonished us, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on the earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves can break in and steal. He said, but rather lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal and then he said this for where your treasure is there your heart will be also. what is control of your heart oh i love god i hear that from people and yet their lives aren't being lived like they love god supremely oh they go to church uh, not always every week but they go to church here and there read their bibles here and there But they're not really living as if God is the most important person in their life. They give him lip service. I mean, he's in their orbit somewhere, but he's not the nuclear, he's not the center. And that's the problem. And Jesus said, whatever you treasure in your heart, uh, uh, whatever you treasure uh, in life, that's where your heart's, that's going to have control of your heart. If it's God, well, then The Lord will dominate your thinking, dominate your life and your heart. Guys, again, as we close, I don't know what the future is going to bring with this pandemic that we're experiencing, but I know one thing for sure, and don't miss this, and that is that God is on the throne. And therefore, I'm not going to worry about it. I'm just simply not going to worry about it. Worry doesn't solve our problems. It only adds to them. Corey Ten Boom said something profound regarding this. She said, Worrying doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrows. It empties today of its strength. I want to close with something that uh, pastor, uh, author, and evangelist Greg Laurie said in a recent article that I read that he had just written a few days ago. I'll read this to you, and then we'll, we'll pray and close, okay? He said, and I quote, pastor and, and uh, evangelist Greg Laurie, he said, and I quote, So how should we respond to this global health crisis? Well, pray, he said. Pray for yourself, pray for others, pray for those who are sick, pray for those who are at risk, pray for the doctors, nurses, and researchers who are treating patients and are working to stymie the virus. Pray for the government officials who have have to make difficult decisions, and pray for your friends, family members, and neighbors. Thinking about others takes the focus off of ourselves and actually helps to reduce our worry and anxiety. Instead of listening to or reading the news as soon as we open our eyes in the morning or before we go to sleep at night, we can start or end our day with prayer and or Bible reading. We can meditate on the hopeful words that God himself gives us in Isaiah chapter 43 verse 2. When God said, "When you pass through the waters, I will be with you; and when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you; when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned; the flames will not set you ablaze," Greg Laurie said, "Turn your worry into worship. When anxious thoughts come sweeping, when anxious thought, excuse me, when anxious anxious thoughts come sweeping into our minds." uninvited and unwelcome, we can sweep them back out with praise. We can listen to worship music, sing songs, dance, play instruments, and create works of art, uh, or do whatever we do when we express our love for and awe of God. There will always be uh, something that will frighten us in this life. But in these uncertain days, we can take the time to count our blessings and thank God for his divine provision and protection. We don't have to be filled with fear, anxiety, and worry. God loves you and wants a relationship with you. That is why Jesus came to this earth, to give to us both the meaning of life and the hope of life beyond the grave. I'll find it again, folks. Hang on. That's why Jesus came to the earth to give us both the meaning of life and the hope of life beyond the grave. He died on the cross for your sin. And if you will turn from your sin and invite Jesus into your life, you will never be alone again. End quote. Guys, if this crisis, even though it's scaring the death out of you, if this crisis, if you allow it to get you to look up, to draw close to God, and to receive his son Jesus Christ into your heart, it will all have been worth it, at least from your standpoint, because it will give you an eternal promise that someday you will live with him and he'll give you grace and strength right now. His spirit will come live inside of you and give you the strength and the peace to live this life for him, but always with the hope that someday, because of what God has promised, we are going to have an eternal inheritance that nobody can ever take from us. And we're looking forward to that day. So, guys, I want to thank you for joining us this morning. I want to close in prayer, but also I want to invite you to tune in on Wednesday as we continue our study in the book of Jude. And then next Sunday, God willing, uh, as we look at the third part in this series, Life's Essential Ingredients. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Your word does give us great hope and peace and comfort. And yet we realize, Lord, that in life there are no guarantees except that you love us. You have our best interests at heart. But sometimes you say to us, the time has come. Come to me and I will give you joy unspeakable. In my presence is fullness of joy. So, Lord, give us grace. We pray that you would, Lord, um, cause this virus to be killed, eradicated, die out. That, Lord, you would bring us back to a place where you know, we enjoyed the the peace and we could uh, leave the house and interact with each other at church and so on. We do pray for that, but we pray for the grace, Lord, that we need to endure whatever trials uh, we are going through at the present or that are coming in the future, that give us grace, Lord, that we would keep our eyes on you and set our minds on things above, not on things on the earth. And we just thank you, Lord, because your perfect peace, which surpasses human understanding As long as we keep our eyes on you, we'll guard our hearts and minds through our relationship with Christ Jesus. Father, we thank you. We ask all this now in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great day.